0: We are taking a a slight brief detour from the Foundational Framework series for the purpose of wanting to cover a couple of things that I feel are absolutely indispensable to the church at large, but especially this one. Now understand when I say that, I'm not implying that we have done a bad job at what we're going to cover this week and next week. Understand that. I'm I'm not implying that whatsoever. But it's really good to make sure that if you can tend to something before it breaks or before it goes down the wrong path, it's less likely to do so. That's why I think we need to have our our focus, hopefully, uh, in on this subject. Thought about scaring everybody by having a black screen with big white letters that said change. That bother anybody? Who's scared I'm going to change something? Just Mitch, okay. (laughs) Jerry's afraid we won't change something. Well, I appreciate that. Does anybody just want to bat? I mean, I'll just lay up here and you guys just go to town like I'm a pinata. It's okay. Yeah, we get to beat on you more. There's a lot of people that have tried to establish change throughout life. In fact, one interesting fellow that we all know, the former president of the United States, Barack Obama, said this in a speech, February 5th, 2008. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we have been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Now, just looking at that statement in front of you, what is the agent of change? Us. How's that going? Okay. It sounds real good in a speech. And boy, Obama can give a speech, can't he? He's a good public speaker. Yeah. But is the message right? Some people go to more extreme versions. I'll get out of the way for this one. June eleventh, 1963. This is a photograph taken by Malcolm Brown. It's in Vietnam on a street in Saigon. Busiest street that there is. During the busiest time. And I'm going to butcher his name. Thich Quang Duc. I think is his name. He got tired... Of the Roman Catholic president in Vietnam persecuting Buddhists. So he said, This needs a change. And so what he did was he came out and sat in the middle of the street and doused himself with that petrol there and set himself on fire. And he's unfazed. You and I are on fire. We're rolling on the ground trying to put it out. We're screaming. He's unfazed. I have no doubt that his conviction for change was probably so strong that it allowed him to stand or to sit just like that. The sad thing is is that nothing happened after this. That's what's amazing. Some people go to drastic extremes to try to make a statement in order to change things. And sadly for him, nothing happened. Later on, the president who was oppressing the Buddhists was assassinated at the beginning of November of that year. Then things began to change. So I've thought a lot about this day and how you guys frequently razz me about it. So I wanted to write down my conclusions I came to. Here's the answer. I cannot change the things that really need to be changed. And what needs to be changed is every one of us, me included, from the inside out. When we talk about change, that's the change that matters. Only God, through His Word, can change His people. And that change has to happen by the Holy Spirit or it won't last. And the only way that that happens is by taking in His Word so that it stirs up conviction within each one of us every day. Because here's the reason why. We can purpose ourselves to think differently. We can purpose ourselves to act differently or say we won't respond in a certain way or we'll never talk to that person that way again. But I guarantee you, when the moment gets up on you, it happens. And it happens because it is sin ingrained in this fleshly body. The Apostle Paul gives us a very good prescription by the Spirit. Put to death the deeds of the flesh. And so, my entire sermon today is to convince you, to hopefully convict you that that change needs to happen and it needs to happen God's way. I found a really great quote. I don't know this guy, I've never read anything he said, but I read this and I thought I like him. Scripture is the foundation of the church. The church is the guardian of Scripture. When the church is in strong health, the light of Scripture shines bright. When the church is sick, Scripture is corroded by neglect. And thus it happens that the outward form of Scripture and that of the church usually seem to exhibit simultaneously either health or else sickness. And as a rule, the way in which Scripture is being treated is in exact correspondence with the condition of the church. How do you tell whether or not the church is sick? Well, what's their stance on Scripture? That's how you do it. Now, Some of you are really nervous thinking the big change I'm going to make is I'm going to stand behind the pulpit and preach the whole time because you've gotten used to me being in the aisle, so let me alleviate your worries now and move to my proper place. If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. The question I want to ask is, are you seeking God? Are you seeking God? You'll have your notes there. My notes aren't any different from your notes. You can follow along if you'd like to do that. That'd be great. You're probably familiar with this. In fact, even with it up on the board, let's read it together. Let's see how powerful we sound when we read together. How's that? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. There is no book in the world like the Bible. None. No one has even been able to come close to matching the various natures, abilities, and just what it took to put it together, and yet have a common, consistent, and non-contradictory message. What we actually hold in our hands is a library. We hold a library of 66 books in our hands, written by over 40 different human authors, who God revealed truth to, and they were inspired to write down as the Holy Spirit, move them to do so and what they wrote at that time was perfect and exactly what god would have you and i to believe to understand and to know about reality i think that's important to state that there is not an issue in the landscape of human existence that this does not speak authoritatively to and that is not just faith and practice It is also dealing with how we view such things as history and math and science and geometry and I don't care. God has the last and first word on all of it. When we stray from this, we begin to compromise the integrity of the foundation that he has plainly and clearly set for us. So if you notice at the top, I wanted to point out three major points about Scripture. Number one, it is unparalleled in its contents. Notice what we have here. Verse 16, all Scripture is, what's the word? Inspired. If, you're, if you have an NIV, you actually have probably the best translation of that word, which is the word God breathes. The word is theophanoustos. It's the idea of God actually breathing out, it being part of what God has breathed out for us to know and to understand about Him. Every bit of Scripture. Now we could get into a long dialogue about, was he just talking about the Old Testament this time? We have Scriptures where Peter is verifying that what Paul writes is inspired of the Holy Spirit as well. Old and New Testament. We're not conflicted on that. If we are, let's talk about it after church. I would enjoy that. But notice, it's inspired because it is by God. It's part of who He is. Now in everything we've seen in the foundational framework series so far, we know that He's good. We know that He's righteous. We know that He's eternal. We know that He is sovereign. We know that there is none like him and that he is the creator of all things and everything else is a creature that is morally responsible and answerable to him. He alone is God. There is none like him. So that means to make a claim, as Paul does here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of saying all scripture is God-breathed, it's inspired by, by God, is to say everything that it says is true. Now scholars have tried to wiggle on this, and I've read many journal articles. They dance better than John Travolta on the subject. But it never makes sense. Either it's God's word or it's not. Either what he said is true or it isn't. Let me give you an example. Genesis 1.1. one. 1. recite that for me? Okay, so you're not good at following directions. I said some one, not everybody, so that's good. No, it's right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Do you realize before you take another step, that right there dictates your existence? You either believe that or you don't. And I love it. God decided he would start his book plain. Here's what I did. Do you believe it or do you not? Well, no, I don't believe that because of this and this and this. Well, that's fine, but what you believe doesn't change the truth. And I think that's important to realize. If this is God's word, then it tells us the truth about existence, reality, relationships, Whatever it is. And if that's the case, it is my finite thinking that needs to be conformed to an infinite God's words on a page. It's true. That's the first point. It's true. Notice also its ability. All scripture is inspired by God, and what's that word there? Profitable. It's useful. It's advantageous. Does anybody like doing anything that is not advantageous? We do a lot of it, don't we? We don't like it. If we find out that there is some benefit, if we're like, yeah, that's worth it, then we buy in quickly, don't we? Because the the returns are astronomical. Look what it says. It's profitable for, number one, teaching. Number two, for reproof, number three, for correction, number four, for training in righteousness. It is useful to teach us. In other words, it tells us the truth about everything. It's doctrine. It's how reality is set up. Satan has a lockdown on this world system. He is trying to get us to think in every direction except toward God. How many people disagree with that? It doesn't take long watching TV to see that, do you? What's love consist of? Does a couple sleep together before they're married or after they're married? Why has that even become something we have to question in our culture? Anybody picked up a copy of 17 magazine lately? No? I encourage you to. It's a dose of reality. It's like somebody backhanded your brain. And you can immediately look at it and here's what you'll find flashing in your mind in big lit up letters. Unbelief, 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 unbelief. Because it's an entire collection from cover to cover of the best that pagan people can do to make sense out of life. And it's all about pleasure, self-indulgence, how to make yourself better, how to make yourself smarter, how to make your relationships more useful and more advantageous. And by the way, it's godless. Nothing about him is in there. Do it sometime. In fact, I expect after this, everybody go over to Walmart. Somebody grab one, just pass it around. Make a line. Everybody go, what are y'all doing? Next thing you know, the doors of evangelism have opened wide, right? there you go so notice the bible tells us what we need to know but here's the interesting thing it doesn't stop there it moves on to the next one it's for reproof conviction how many people like to be convicted about something you know what that means you're wrong and i'm wrong and that's the part we don't like to deal with do we because if we're wrong we're now at a crossroads I'm at a crossroads of, I can either continue on as I am, knowing. See, that's the sad part. Before, I was just dumb and doing whatever. But now I know that I'm wrong. So I can continue on pleasing myself, getting what I can out of taking advantages of situations and people. I can keep going in that direction. Or I can respond to the conviction that's being brought and make a better choice, which leads us to the next one correction this has to do with coming in alignment with god god wants to set every one of us straight he is in the straight setting business he is really good this is a fun term at leveling us making us straight tearing us down putting us on a right path his word has the ability to pierce the heart when the words of your spouse will never make a dent in your thick head. I speak from experience. But the idea of conviction moving into correction is because why? Because the Bible tells me I'm God's child. And as His child, He wants the best things for me. Does He let me scrape my knee? Yes. Does He let me fall down? Yes. Does He let me put the paper clip in the light socket? Yes. Yes. And He's allowed you to do that some too. Why does He do that? Because then we start backing up and go, well, why, if God's so good, why does He allow bad things to happen? If God's so good, why won't we obey Him more? If God's so good, why do I keep wanting sin over Him? He's trying to teach us a lesson. And what he's saying is, you know where this path goes, so let's back up and let's respond to that conviction and let's get lined up so we can move forward properly. Which leads us to the next one, training. It's interesting, this Greek word here is actually used in the idea of rearing children. It's actually a repeated, patient process over and over and over again. We should expect nothing less from a heavenly father who loves us beyond what we could ever understand. But He wants to train us. Why? So that it becomes a second nature. You know, when I started out playing drums, I sure could make a lot of noise. But I couldn't play. And what I realized is as I got in different situations, as I had different experiences, it did everything to hone and whittle my playing. And I hopefully got better and better and better because I needed to be trained in a certain direction. And the nice thing about that is is I don't have to go back and play that racket anymore. Because nobody wants to hear it when I play and I sound okay. So nobody definitely wants to hear that, right? It's the worst. It's with anything else, getting trained and trained. But there's a direction, isn't there? What's the direction? Is he just training you and then setting you off in the in the field like a goat with no home. Is that what's going on? Way to go, my child. What's the text tell you? Training in what? Training in righteousness. Training according to a standard. Training according to his word. Now notice something very interesting. Everybody notice that doctrine, alright, everybody look at it. Doctrine. It's profitable for doctrine, for teaching. That's what he wants you to know. That right there includes the Old and the New Testament. But notice the idea of conviction, reproof, right, correction, getting in alignment with him. And the training is all the effects that the intaking of the word has on you. Or look at it this way. The first one is reception, but the other three are application. Application is not always do this, do this, do this, do this now. That's how you get into religious legalism. That's how you're just trying to do the right thing so that you will save face and be accepted by your peers. That's not what that is. The idea of doing these things is not just doing, but also thinking differently. Having your heart purpose differently. Let me give you a grand example. Everybody close your eyes. Some of you already got your eyes closed. Everybody close your eyes. Just makes me not feel so weird about those of you that already sleep. Close your eyes for a second. Trust me, I'm not throwing anything. I don't have a Nerf gun up here now or anything (laughs) like that. Close your eyes. What is the most important thing in your life? Get a picture of it. What is the most important thing in your life? Think about it. Think about why it's the most important. Think about the effects that it has on you. Think about the joy or the smile that it brings to you. Think about the depth maybe if it's a bad thing. Maybe it's the worries that you have over something. What is the most important slot number one thing in your life? Why do you look at God that way? Is it God? Is it His Word? Open your eyes. See, here's the beautiful thing about closing your eyes and thinking about that is nobody else sees that but you. You know what's most important to you. You know that beyond anything else in life, you know that you would give up all the possessions that you've ever been blessed with for that one thing that appears in your mind. And while I don't want to hold a stick in my hand and swing it around everywhere, I will tell you this, if that most important thing is not God, priorities are wrong. Something is out of alignment. Something is out of whack. So this is my point. Notice that it's sufficient. I think this is where we will lose sight of all of it. Verse 17, so that, here's the reason, you, me, us, as a church, you as an individual, the man of God may be adequate, that you may be qualified to perform something, that you may be well-fitted, that you may be complete, that you may be capable, that you may be at all costs able to meet the demands that are placed before you. Adequate. Equipped for every. Good work. Scripture has been given to tell us what we need to know, to tell us where we're wrong, to tell us the right direction, and to train us in that direction. Why is that? Because every one of us is living life. And we're either living life in the confidence of having the truth in our grasp, And being able to discern and navigate through situations. And prayer is not the last thing that we resort to in a crisis situation. It's the first place we go to. And the reason why it's the first is because we've been there the whole time. That type of thinking. It's not having to buy into the social norms that people set for acceptance because their acceptance doesn't matter a hill of beans in my life with the Lord. Because I'm not here to be conformed, squeezed into their mold. I am here to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And there's only one thing that brings that change. God has already graciously, at the moment that you heard the gospel and believed, given you the Holy Spirit. And He has set up residence. He got permanent rent on each one of us in fact it's even called a deposit if that don't mean he's setting up shop i don't know what does but he's pitching his tent there he's buying furniture and having it moved in he's not going anywhere and what is the holy spirit waiting to do just like we all are eat right nobody thought that was funny come on guys I haven't berated anybody for not having your Grace Bible Church pen or nothing. Work with me today. The Holy Spirit needs to eat. Somebody comes and lives with you, you're going to feed them? No, get your own. you some hard-hearted individuals. You need Jesus more than I thought. But yeah, you feed them. You care for them. <laughs> whatever they need and the only thing that the holy spirit eats is the word of god it's the only thing this is why when we read crazy statements that jesus says like we don't live on bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the living god we sit there and we look at that well you know jesus is god in the flesh so he don't need to eat like we do Because, buddy i need to eat and barbecue starts flooding into your mind, ice cream, whatever. Was Jesus telling the truth? What did Jesus know about you and I that we don't know? The Holy Spirit eats the Word of God. The Holy Spirit is the spark that sits within each one of us. The Word of God is the gasoline that turns it into a fire. Notice, he wants us to be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, he wants you to live life like no one else lives life because you know the giver of life. That's the idea. This is a library of books that has been assembled to teach you how to live life rightly. It's all a conclusion we've got to come to. Either God's telling us the truth or he's not. So here's a question I wanted to pose in the middle of your notes. The Bible must be received if it is to effect change in our lives. So here's a question. How do we get the Word of God within us? Turn with me to Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I don't want to elaborate too much on it because I'm not looking to spoil Deuteronomy class when we start back up in September because this is where we're picking up at. But I do want to start in verse 4. This is what is known as the Shema in Hebrew. It's very interesting because when you deal with the Hebrew word, the idea of what it is to listen carefully in Hebrew culture, you're also dealing with the idea of what it is to obey. They're not separate. It's not receive some information and just let it sit there and it's kind of negligent. Or it's not God's truth just matters on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, there's other options because Oprah's on. That's not what it is. It's the idea of listen up and apply this to your life for the sake of your life. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel. Yahweh our Elohim. Yahweh is one. Now watch this. You shall... Love, the Lord your God, with all your heart, your inner man, your understanding, your mind, your will, the very central seat of your being, and with all of your soul, with all of your breath, and with all of your might, all of your force, all of your abundance, even one translation I found said all of your muchness, all of your muchness, man, use that one, right? It says here, these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. This is the problem. This is the problem with obedience. The problem with obedience in God's Word is if it does not penetrate the heart, it does not change the person. Or let me say it this way. We have to be convinced that what it says is true to the point of it reroutes life to correspond with that truth. Does that make sense? You ever been somewhere and for years and years they didn't have a stop sign? And then all of a sudden a stop sign pops up. And you forgot to stop. That ever happen? Maybe? Next thing you know, you got a ticket. Why? Because the truth is that there's a stop sign there now. And unless I adjust my second nature, this is just what I always do, to what the reality of truth is, I'm going to end up owing a lot of money to the pokey. That's not fun. Notice what he says here. Here's how you do it. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently teaching the commands of God diligently to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up you shall bind them which I think is very interesting as a sign on your forehead and they shall be frontlets or I'm sorry, on your hand, and they shall be frontlets on your forehead, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, notice what's just happened here. All of life is to be reconstructed into a situation to where God's Word is the focal point of all of it. The commands of God, the Word of God, has to be taught diligently. Now if you showed up here this morning, and I don't like picking on it, well I do like picking on everybody, but I'm not picking on him today, right? But if you were getting out of your car today and you pulled your Bible out of the back window of your car, and you could probably write the word damnation with your finger on the cover of it, chances are you're not receiving the word of God diligently. Make sense? sense? Let me give you a prime example. We kind of had some fun with this in the seven practices meeting yesterday. I make coffee for the seven practices meeting every month we have it. And in one pot, I put regular coffee. The other pot, I put decaf. And I labeled the first one of regular. I put little labels on them just to have fun with people. I labeled the first one homeschooling, and I labeled decaf public school, and then I turned them around and I just let them sit on the table, and I just waited to see what conversation ensued. What in the world does this mean? Which one's deep? Well, I think this one's regular because it's very interesting to see what everybody thinks about the situation, and so finally I got a chance to explain it. Homeschool is very interesting because at least with all of its pitfalls involved, I get it, but at least you can have God as your starting point in every subject that you learn. But the reason why decaf is public school is because something's missing. How many of you went to public school? I did, yeah. Were you ever taught one time in your history class? way it all started was god created the heavens and the earth we can't talk about that well why not we not believe in truth here were we not here to learn the truth or were we here to learn lies see nobody wants to have that conversation now you've just stepped on a lot of people's toes and somebody's getting a note sent home right but let's think about what that's saying in relation to this verse teach them diligently is it a mainstay Is what God has to say about every subject in our life ingrained in how we live life? Is he the first place we turn? Do your kids come home and say, Mom, Dad, I just don't know what about what to do about this? And what you do is you go, let's see. Any parent ever taught their child sex education from the Song of Solomon? Needs to happen. Anybody ever taught your children financial principles from Proverbs? Because I can't find the Hebrew word for credit card in there anywhere. You see what I'm saying? I know it's the greatest understatement in the world. This book saves us, it's not just saving us from hell. It's not just saving us from sin. It's saving us from ourselves. The greatest threat in my life is me. Good gravy. Amazingly, he is a fallible human being who needs the Lord just like I do. But this is the problem we get into when we exalt self over the Savior. He has spoken authoritatively on every subject, and we would have a lot to learn and get different results than what everybody else does. It blows my mind. It was like, well, all I can do is teach them what's right and hope for the best. Stop for a second and examine that sentence. What do you mean by teach them what's right? And here's the reason why. Because they've just made a moral claim when they say that. So it all depends on what the person's definition of right is, right? Well, just don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. You'll be just fine. Is that how we get? Is that the answer? Mama, she got all her teeth. Let's go to the altar. Just in Kentucky. My wife came from Indiana. She has all of her teeth. And they're very pretty teeth too. Thank the Lord. So, but you see what I'm saying? How does life get different? It gets different by this. Teaching our children diligently. And when we talk, our conversation has to do with this word. And when we're in our house and we're sitting down, The Word is present. And when we're walking around, the Word is there. And when we lie down, the Word is in our mind. And when we get up, the Word is on our mind. How about the next part of it? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be frontlets on your foreheads. The Pharisees actually took this literally. They had little boxes called phylacteries they would put on here that were filled with Scripture. This was part of it that was in there. They would bind it, wrap it around their arms. What was amazing was, their problem was it never pierced the heart. They were some of the greatest religious legalists of their time. And if you didn't act like them, you were going to hell. They had no problem letting you know. You just don't add up. Oh, Jesus is healing withered hands? we got to kill this guy. That's a religious legalist. Because the Word of God never pierced their heart. Or let's say it this way. They had a mask on one day, but behind closed doors, they were a completely different person. Fake. Fake. Not here, I would hope, but they would fit into some churches rather nicely. God didn't call His people to be fake. He called us to humble ourselves before His truth, accept it, receive it, implement it all ways. Notice you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Wherever you look, God's word needs to be ever before you. Why? Because it's written by the guy who designed every one of us. It's the instruction manual. Anybody buy a new grill this year? Anybody? No man wants to admit it? Oh no, it's Pastor Steve. I can't pick on you. Okay, great. Brother, you just saved me. Bob, did you read the instruction manual? Is it because you had to or did you start there? You don't want to admit that, do you? You started there? Okay, good, good. He's an engineer. Well, yeah. And there's something about our pride that says, we look at all the pieces thrown out, we go, "Mm, I got this. And all of a sudden, the chest comes puffed out and the shoulders go back and we immediately start growing facial hair like we've never known before. I've got this. (laughs) Guys, we don't got this. And I guarantee you that as soon as we think we do, we don't it's to be everywhere that's how it gets in the heart how about this limber fingers today everybody turn with me to james james is a good controversial book sadly i've only found one man who wrote a good commentary on this it's worth a hill of beans at all and it's rather good His name is Zane Hodges. He taught Greek at Dallas Theological Seminary for 26 years. And he spent about 26 years going through this book year after year. And by that time, he had something good to say about it. So if you ever get a chance to get his commentary on it, it's good. He's well-versed in it. He handles it well. James chapter 1. It's after Hebrews. If you get lost in Hebrews, just keep going. You'll come out of the wilderness in the promised land of James. James chapter 1, verse 21. He says, therefore, putting aside, which is very interesting, it means stripping this off. It's like when you come in for mowing and you got to get those socks off your feet, right? Get them off and throw it aside. Putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Now he's writing to believers here. Notice how the change is. In, what's the word, church? In humility. Receive the word. What's it say? Implanted. Which means it's already there. It's already there. You just need to receive it. But the filthiness, the rampant wickedness has got to get out of the way. Of what the flesh wants to participate in, and we have to humble ourselves before it in order to receive it and embrace it. Notice it says here, which is able to save your souls. The Greek word is suke, it's used to talk about your life. It saves you from living a worthless life. I'm sure you probably know someone, whether in your family, a friend, somebody you went to high school, or something, where you look and you go, good grief, I cannot believe their life ended up like that. What happened to them? I'll tell you what didn't happen. What didn't happen is that they didn't set aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with humility and meekness the Word of God that was implanted. That's what didn't happen. But it is a very sore example of what will happen apart from God's Word. But here's the problem we get in as the church. Look at the next verse, 22. But prove yourselves. In other words, become into being like this. As doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. The greatest deceiver in your life is not Satan. The greatest deceiver in your life is not Anderson Cooper, it's not Wolf Blitzer, it's not Sean Hannity, it's not Oprah, it's not the Chew, it's not the Stew, it's not the Voice, it's not the whatever. What is everybody watching today? It's not CSI Miami? What? What are you watching? What? Somebody said something. What is it, Maxine? Hannity? Okay. 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 Well, good. As long as you're not getting that on anybody else, we're okay, right? But notice, if you hear God's Word and you don't do God's Word, you have deceived yourself. You have become your own David Copperfield. You have slight-handed yourself out of a life worth living Because truth has sat on the shelf of the mind and never made it into the heart to derive a conviction of this is true. And the way I was thinking before or the way I operated before or my philosophy of life before was a lie. And God's word came in and dealt with it lovingly and graciously, but decisively to set me on a new path. It just sat there. If our Bibles are dusty to write damnation on the cover, I would hope that our hearts aren't so dusty to write it on our hearts. It's either true or it's not. And if it is true and we hear it, then we must do it. To live apart from implementation is contradictory. How about the next passage? This is an interesting passage here. I want to ask you to do something fun. Turn to Ephesians 5. If you know anything about Ephesians, Ephesians and Colossians are sister books. They are very closely related. There's a lot of the same themes that Paul was led to expound upon. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to place your notes there in Ephesians 5 as a marker, or if you have a string in there, the marker that you have with your Bible, it's not taken up... Any kind of space right now that you need to hold. I'm going to ask you to move to 316 and 17. Anybody else hot? Okay, Mitch, can we turn down the air? Yeah, just turn it down to 70. Don't tell Sheila. She doesn't know I haven't put the lock code back on there. So, shh. I'll tell. Hopefully, she won't listen to this online. We'll be okay. So, Colossians 3. Turn over to Colossians 3 with your finger. And put your finger there, Colossians 3. Now turn back with me to Ephesians 5 and let's read Ephesians 5 and then we're going to go over to Colossians 3 and I want to show you something. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Are we good? Does everybody understand what we're doing? Okay, so we got Ephesians 5 starting in 17 open now. We got our finger where Colossians 3 is towards the end of the chapter of 3, right before 4. Here's what it says. Verse 17 of Ephesians 5. So then, do not be foolish... But understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. In other words, and the idea here in the Greek is, go on being filled. Keep on being filled by the Spirit. It says here, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always, always, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Why do you give thanks to God? Because nothing you get comes from anybody else but Him. That's the reason why. He gives it all. But notice, now did everybody see there, be filled with the Spirit, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs? Does that make anybody feel weird? Is everybody like, man, I'll be a charismatic if I do that, right? Anybody seen Cecil DeMille's Ten Commandments? Anybody seen that? And please raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay, we've seen it. And the part where the, 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 the angel of death is going to pass over and, they, and Moses and all those guys have locked themselves in and they're preparing the Passover lamb. They're going to eat, staff's in hand. They're ready to go. And they're all kind of like, you know, they hear screams and all the kids are like this. And then you got that weird guy in the back. He's like, the Lord will take care of all of us if we just trust in him. He is our rock and our deliverer. He is our stronghold and our shield. And you're like, what is wrong with that guy? Number one, he was badly directed. But number two, he's filled with the Spirit. That's what's going on. He's constantly verbalizing the truth and the promises of God's character and attributes in his life because in freaked out times, that's the only anchor you have. Life raft's not going to save him. Only thing that's going to save him is get his mind on what God wants him to do and who he is. That's it. Now that seems strange to us, but notice what it is to be filled with the Spirit. Now, take your finger, turn it over to Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly, that's a quality word right there, richly dwell within you. And dwell is the idea that it needs to make our its home within every one of us. It needs to be the place of home. Is God's Word at home in you? And is it at home in you richly? Don't leave that word richly out. If we just say, let the Word of God dwell in you, that's how we get in devotion mode. No, 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 no. Richly. It needs to get in there with hammer and pickaxe and chip away at the hardness of the heart so that it indwells, convicts the heart. Let, let it happen. The word of Christ richly dwell within you. Now watch. With all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, notice, when the word of God's dwelling in you richly, we should be teaching and admonishing one another. Look at the next part of what it says here. One another with psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms. That's the guy in the back of the house in Exodus. Right? Notice it's the same thing. And notice what it says after that. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Does everybody see that what it is to be filled with the Spirit is the exact same thing for the Word of God to dwell richly in you? The effects are the exact same thing. Thing. You cannot be filled with the Spirit and not have the Word of God as an essential ingredient. That's like gluten free food. Nobody wants that. Nobody. Not one person. And I know you guys struggle with temptation as the communion bread's going by and you see that gluten free, you're like, well, I really better. I'm going to pay for it later. No. Ah. <sighs> Communion shouldn't be that stressful with gluten-free stuff, man. But you cannot be filled with the Spirit apart from the Word of God. And I will tell you this, you cannot intake the Word of God richly without becoming filled in the Spirit. They are hand in hand, together, inseparable. Impossible to have one without the other. How do I know that? Because to be filled with the Spirit apart from the Word is to become a charismatic. Because to have the Word richly dwell in you without being filled in the Spirit, that's a legalist. We were not called to walk in those extremes. The pendulum sets in the middle, and it's balance, one and the other, inseparable. You cannot have it any other way. You might think, well, good grief, how come I'm struggling with sin so much in my life? Here's the question, is the Word of God richly dwelling in you? Let me say this as well. It is not unusual for a Christian to experience depression. It's not. It's not unusual to be down. In fact, you can't read a lot of the Psalms without realizing, good grief, David's a depressed guy. Lord, why have you forsaken me and Saul wants to kill me? He doesn't sound like he's going to Disneyland to me. It's a bad day. But don't those psalms always resolve with, but Lord, it's your loving kindness. I will be thankful to you. I will call on the name of the Lord for he is my salvation. Guess what? Depression lifted. Why? Because the conviction of that truth redirects the mind and the heart towards God, towards hope beyond this world. If I talked to you long enough about me, you'd become depressed, and so would I. Why? Why? I'm a depressed person. Guess what? You are too. And that's okay. Because what it does is it shows our common need for Christ. But if we don't have his word in us, we stay in that state. Me, 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 me. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear that. It's all about him. So here's my attempt at piercing the heart. Turn with me Psalm 119. We'll finish here. This is my attempt at change in this church. Notice I didn't show up in shorts and a t shirt. Notice Striper wasn't playing over the speakers. Here's the reason why it's not about what I want, it's about what does it take to get you where you need to be with God what needs to happen so that each one of us is loving people to life in Christ that is the most pleasing thing i think that any of us and collectively as a church could possibly do is loving people who aren't experiencing what genuine love is to either new life in Christ or growing abundant life in Christ but that's the direction that we go psalm 119 let's just hit verse 9 How can a young man keep his way pure? Man, this is a good pornography verse right here. Mark it down. Here's the answer. By keeping it, according to what? Oh, man. Anybody read through Psalm 119? It's the longest chapter in the Bible, and it's all about His Word. That should tell me something huge before I even get into it. But here's what I want us to get at. Verse 10. With all my heart... I have sought you. Stop. Can you say this right now? Can you say that right now? Lord, with all my heart, I've sought you. Can you say that? Because look what he says next. Do not let me wander from your commandments. You know why he brings that up so closely? Because he understands the human tendency to walk away from God's Word. He understands what it is to be depraved. He understands what it is for the sin nature to pull and war with the Spirit to get us away from truth. He gets it. So he's asking for God's protection. But look what he says next. Your word, I have, what is that word? Treasured. It means to hide it so nobody else gets it. It means to store it up so that you can draw off of it later. The time to prepare for famine is not when somebody says, Hey, I think a famine's going on. Not the time to prepare. It's before. It's to store it up. I have treasured your word. Your word have I treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not what? What is the answer here, folks? God's word. God's word is the answer to the greatest problem we have. And that is sinning against God. Everything else that we look at in our lives is a symptom of the root of the problem. The reason why I'm involved in this group, the reason why I can't say no to this person, the reason why I've run up this credit card, the reason why I'm people-pleasing people in this relationship, the reason why I got in this bad marriage, the reason why I decided to do whatever to my own neglect and detriment, was for one reason and one reason only. You stem it all back to the root, and the root is sin. And so the goal is, how do I keep from feeding sin? I got to store up the word. Anybody carry this around with you all day? Even as a preacher, I don't. Some of you do. Excellent. I mean, I got it on my phone. But I'm not a, like... You know, buy milk at Walmart or something. <laughs> they already know who I am. Trust me. Yes, I think, yeah. <laughs> Just say, I think you found some of my promotional material laying around here and there. No, exactly. Well, you got eye drops today, so, right. But I need this, and I need it every hour, and I need to be reminded of it every minute. And I'm going to find myself in crisis situations where what I should do is draw off of it. And I'm not going to have it handy and my mind's not going to be able to think correctly in order to go to it and get what I need to hold on to it to sustain me so I'm not making rash and stupid decisions. So that I can keep from generating more sin as an answer to the sin already in my life. So where's the problem? What's the problem with God's word? It's got to penetrate what? The heart. It's got to get ingrained inside of me. I have to set aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save my soul. So here's what I did. You have around you these cards sitting on the chairs as you came in. If you don't have one, there's one around you either in front or behind. I tried to spread them out because I didn't have enough for every one of them. And you've all got some of them that have got this ring through it. And the reason is, is because every month we're going to add to these. Now, you notice mine's a little frayed and messed up, but I've been keeping it in my pocket. Ladies, you can easily use this and drop it in your purse. But for the month of July, you're going to get another one. In the month of August, you're going to get one. In the month of September, and on and on and on until we fill this thing up. Why? Because these are mind renewers, and this is the first verse we're going to look at let's read it together here we go with all my heart i have sought you do not let me wander from your commandments your word i have treasured in my heart that i may not sin against you this is a directive for every one of us if sin is the problem and god's word is the answer then it needs to get fresh on my mind i need to be seeking him and i need to be treasuring it up And so I've got to have a rationale of truth that brings conviction to the heart of what needs to happen. So we're going to start memorizing Scripture because it's got to get inside of us. If we can spend three hours in front of the television Monday through Friday, it's going to kill us to spend 15 minutes memorizing God's Word so that it will hopefully be impressed upon us let's pray God thank you for our time together thank you father for your word thank you God for the goodness that it wants to impart to us if we would just receive it father may we be convinced of its value how it's profitable to us to teach us to reprove us to correct us and to train us in righteousness father may we see it makes us adequate to live life It makes it possible for us to be able to engage life with confidence and faithfulness. Father, if our minds are not convinced, if we're sitting here in unbelief of this point, I pray God, soften our hearts to this truth. Help us in committing Scripture to memory. Help us to apply it. Help us to embrace it. Father, convince us of our need for it every day.